did you notice a change in how your organisation treated its staff at the beginning of the COVID pandemic? And have you noticed a distinct return to normal since then? Do you sometimes wish we paid more attention to people and less to tasks? In this episode of You Are Not A Frog, I'm joined by Steve Andrews. He's the Associate Director of Leadership at East and North Hearts NHS Trust. He spotted a problem and did something about it. We talk about how he and his team were proactive in trying to prevent the things they were worried about in their staff, such as burnout and PTSD following the pandemic. And they came up with a novel way of checking in with people rather than checking up on them, which combines an ingenious blend of different leadership styles and just five simple questions. We talk about the power of just showing concern and really listening and how a simple intervention done right can help change a culture and create a movement. So listen if you want to know how the command and control model is failing us in healthcare, what the most effective way is of supporting your staff in a crisis and the five simple questions which could transform the interactions within your team and within the wider organisation. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, life hacks for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris. I'm a GP turned coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. And I'm interested in how we can wake up and be excited about going to work no matter what. I've had 20 years of experience working in the NHS and I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed, worried about making a mistake and one crisis away from not coping. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, working harder and longer, and the heat has been turned up so slowly that we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to the low-grade feelings of stress and exhaustion. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options, stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave but you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your destiny and to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you will simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and thrive, not just survive, in our work and our lives and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. 
So it's really great to have with me on the podcast today, Steve Andrews. Now, Steve is the Associate Director of Leadership at East and North Hearts NHS Trust. That's in Stevenage. And he's got a background in paediatric oncology nursing. And he sends out this amazing email pretty much every single week, I think it is, isn't it, about leadership in the context of healthcare, the NHS. And that's been a real inspiration for me, he's always got some really thoughtful things to share, as well as lots of really amazing links and resources. So it's a real pleasure for me to have you on the podcast today, Steve. Rachel, thank you very much and uh, a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So one of the things that we were talking about when we had a phone call recently was the initiatives that you've started around COVID. And we, we got to talking about what had changed and how we were treating people and how staff had just been so completely amazing throughout the crisis and, and still continue to be. I agree completely. Our staff across the NHS has been outstanding over the last 18 months. And one thing which I think should uh, be forgotten when we emerge fully from coronavirus is that contribution they made. Almost a cry should go out like it did after the Second World War. After the Second World War, it was build, build a country fit for the people who'd endured uh, that time period. I think the cry at the moment should be build an NHS fit for the people who've done what they've done over the last 18 months. And one of the things that will be key to building that NHS will be our culture, teamwork and leadership. And often the leadership that I've been connected to, been passionate about, really supported and tried wherever possible to see enacted was often referred to as soft and fluffy. When I would say coaching should be a leadership style, when I talk about autonomy, et cetera, there'd always somebody would come back with kind of, well, that's nice. That's, that's nice when it's all going well. That's nice and soft and fluffy. But in the harsh realities of the world, Steve, people need to be told. What to, and I just didn't buy that. And I never did. And I think coronavirus showed us that actually the soft and fluffy was absolutely the necessary and vital component to our success treating people with respect and dignity, getting people involved in the decisions that were being made, making sure we were listening to our workforce so they could hear their ideas, their innovation, really respecting the effort and the workload that people were putting in and taking care for their, of their mental health as much as their physical health. That's what used to get called soft and fluffy. We would put mental health, psychological well-being well down the list. I think coronavirus showed us that these things are now essential for us to rebuild uh, our NHS. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Did you see instances in the pandemic where the other approach was tried and, and failed? I, I wouldn't go as far as to say failed, but did I see it tried? Did I see it implemented? Did I see the command control? Yes, and poor decisions and poor actions were taken and people not understanding why these things were being done. And without an understanding of why, call that soft and fluffy, but without understanding why I'm being asked to do something, people's motivation and engagement is lacking. When you're told to do something which seems to equate, seems to go against your gut feeling, your evidence, what you can see right in front of you, then your passion to do it is low. And yes, did I, I saw quite a bit, a bit of that from time to time. I often don't think it came from a poor place. I think people were frightened at any level. Uh, some of our senior people, I suspect, were frightened. But again, because of the culture we built, that vulnerability, being that open to, I'm concerned as well, 
I'm frightened as well. I don't know what to do next. Being that vulnerable wasn't allowed. We didn't give people permission. And so the consequence was snap decisions, command, and then frustration when people didn't just um, blindly obey. Hmm. And did that change throughout the crisis? Did people sort of change their style? Or was it particularly bad at the beginning? I definitely could argue that there was more of it just in that first wave, just as we were starting to get really into that first wave and there was a, a real fear. And fear generates a particular set of knee-jerk reactions, anxieties, and maybe we made quick decisions too quick. We didn't involve people. People were not connected to the overall purpose. Why do you think traditionally we, we have labelled these things as soft and fluffy and as not important and we, we've more gone towards the command and control? Is it easier? Uh, I, I, I suspected it easier. I suspect the other piece is that we've not been offered anything else. We, we're, we're lovers in one respect of role models. We see the, the generation ahead of us, how they're leading, and, and we follow. We, we might do things slightly different, but change comes at a slow pace when you're learning from the generation ahead and the role models are not all they could be. Plus, we have to say, it isn't part of our training. So if I think back to my uh, years of of training as a nurse. I can't remember a, a lecture on patient safety. I can't remember a lecture on leadership in three years. It, in, it's not been seen as being vital. What's been seen as being vital is a technical skill. And technical skills, whether the scientific route, uh, the medical route, have a right and a wrong, a good and a bad, and in and out. It's an incredibly linear uh, process. Something about medicine, when you start to get a bit more senior, when you start to really see what medicine is, you start to explore the art of medicine, not the science of medicine. And when you're at that stage, all of a sudden, ideas like working with colleagues, teamwork, uh, multidisciplinary teams start to take on a different viewpoint. I don't think we're trained in, in many other ways. I think we revert to what we know, and we know good, bad, in, out, do it, don't do it. What we don't get trained in, how do I coach? How do I inspire? How do I communicate? How do I collaborate? And how do I influence? If we're thinking now around integrated care systems and even working across tribal groups, nurses, doctors, ward A, ward B, how do I influence? How do I get people to undertake things that I need for my success in partnership? I have no hierarchical authority over them, but how do I connect? How do I collaborate? How do I create partnerships? Now, traditional route has been going up the hierarchy, getting the, uh, a higher level than us, and then come down another hierarchy and get someone told. Maybe building partnerships is something, that, a skill set that we've missed out on in our education. Whenever I run sort of my resilience training, particularly with maybe younger healthcare professionals, people that are just sort of starting out, they really feel the hierarchy and they feel that they can't influence and they don't have any impact because of the hierarchy because they're not at the top of the pecking order where, I mean, we all know that, that if you've got to fall back on the hierarchy to get your way, then you've pretty much lost the battle anyway, haven't you? I remember when we were chatting before the podcast, you were sort of saying that actually that the, the massive concern about coronavirus and the pandemic is that you know, things change quite a lot during the pandemic in terms of working out how people are in this sort of compassionate leadership. The worry is that we're just going to go back to how it was before and the culture is going to absolutely return to that command yeah. and control thing rather than the whole compassionate leadership thing. And uh, how do you think we can stop it 
going back to how it was? Well, I think one of the, the key elements for us all to start thinking about now as leaders is, is, is something we, we worked quite hard on before coronavirus, that we are creatures of habit. And I suspect many people will fall back into their habitual nature in terms of how they manage, how they lead, their expectations, etc. So the first thing to do is say, well, what do we know about changing habits? But we change habits because we can see purpose, we can see meaning, and we can see results. And I think we've got great evidence to suggest that soft and fluffy, compassion, looking after our people has worked incredibly well during coronavirus. Our staff, our colleagues became so fundamental. The amount of resources, the well-being initiatives which are underway, we've changed that we've changed that dial on the compass a little bit. Well-being is really important now. That's the purpose. And I'm hoping that's the compelling purpose that allows that habitual change, that that change into something new, and it will stick. It's dead easy to get out of the groove. It's also dead easy to fall back into it really, really quickly. One thing that you said to me before, which really struck with me, is that we need to change from checking up on people to checking in on people. Absolutely. And, and we use this as almost our philosophy principle uh, kind of thing during our support work for our colleagues during coronavirus. Checking up being the idea and as a leadership style that, have you done that yet? That's been a checking up approach. Have you finished it? Have you got the report? And have you done that yet? Checking in approaches, how are you doing? What, what, what are you experiencing at the moment? What's, what's going well for you? How can I be a more supportive leader, colleague for you at this moment? How are you doing? Is a checking in process. Hmm. And is that where the five questions came from then? Well, the, the five questions are the story of two papers uh, and one phone call. I'm sure we can all remember those uh, early pictures on the news of the coach heading to Liverpool with a few people with masks on. And we started to think at that particular moment in time, hang on a sec, this is heading our way. And across the organisation at senior levels, and at junior levels, people starting to ask those questions. And there was a couple of us gathered together just over a coffee and we started to say, if this does become as serious as we've seen across the globe, then everything that we've got planned for the year, my entire purpose in this organization is going to change overnight. No longer is development courses, a two-day study day program, that's just not going to be anywhere on people's radar. So what, what do we have that we could offer the organization which is going to be helpful and supportive? And, and at that point, we started to think about well-being, the psychological support, few people starting to indicate post-traumatic stress disorder and the fact that after it, even at that early stage, people started to talk after it, we're going to need counsellors. After it, we're going to need these post-traumatic stress disorder programmes. And I think we just asked the question, hang on a sec, that's a really old model of health. Wait till it's broken before you fix it. What about prevention? I wonder if there's something we can do to prevent Two papers came out very, very quickly uh, after that. The one from the King's Fund on why compassionate leadership works in a crisis and another from the British Psychological Society about the psychological needs of healthcare staff during coronavirus. But it was a phone call to uh, somebody I'd worked with previously. He was a psychologist uh, in the British Army. And really, I phoned him up after some ideas had come together and I said, you have to prepare your groups and your teams for sustained periods of stress and combat, what do you do? What is it that you do to prepare them for these sustained periods of stress and combat so that post-traumatic stress is reduced? 
and he told me a few things. The few things matched exactly what were on the Compassionate Leadership paper, what were on the British Psychological paper, the Society's paper. And he, he used a phrase called battle rhythm. And he said, our leaders get into a battle rhythm of checking in with their people. How are we today? What's, what, what's a big concern for you today? What's going on for you today? And this was a regular rhythm. And all of a sudden, that phrase rhythm was, was the, the, the moment of generation for some thought for us. If we took those two papers and that one phone call and came up with a rhythm, a regular rhythm to help our people check in with each other, to do what it says in those papers about maintain human connections, give space for people to talk, accept that some days are going to be more of a struggle than others. It's okay not to be okay and genuinely mean that, not as a nice soundbite and a t-shirt, but genuinely mean, I know it's a bad day today and it's okay. When we put all that together, we came up with these five questions. I tested out a couple. I tested out three and twos and lots of order, but we needed to create a few minutes of connection. So we needed enough questions that had a connection, more than 30 seconds, less than five minutes. So something that maintained a human connection, some questions that provided psychological safety, but also the, the, the real attributes of soft and fluffy were present in those five questions. I've got those five questions in front of me and they're just really simple and straightforward, but I can see how they'd be so helpful. Just, just tell us what they are. Okay, so, so the, the, the five questions are all based uh, on, uh, on a really emerging idea that we were having before coronavirus. And the emerging idea that we had was that leadership models were not helping us. If you go to the Institute of Health Management, you'll get taught a leadership model. And it's, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. If you go to the King's Fund, they'll teach you a leadership model. And it's awesome. If you go to uh, the Leadership Academy, they'll teach you the healthcare leadership model. It's fantastic. The point we were trying to get to was we're really inconsistent with all these models. So it's not whether they're right or wrong. It's whether they're useful or not. So usefulness of leadership models was already a conversation we were having. And then this happened, the two papers, the conversation, and it just seemed to fall into place. How are you doing is question number one. So how are you doing is compassionate leadership. This is now saying... I have a genuine and authentic concern and care about you. I, I, this isn't a passing the corridor, hello, alternative. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? This is a genuine, how are you? What are you experiencing? What's going on for you in your world? What would be helpful? Tell me more. Share your experience with me. How are you doing? We, I'm sure that you and your medical training, Rachel, were taught exactly the same lesson I was taught in nursing training. There is only one answer uh, when, asks, when anyone asks you, how are you doing? And that answer is busy. Yeah, there's no other alternative. And of course, that's because we're not quite sure. We've not quite established a level of relationship. We're not quite sure whether if I was to really tell you how I'm doing, whether it would have a negative consequence on career, relationship, opportunities, whether I would be seen as being not coping. If I was to say that I'm not fine today, if I, that actually I'm struggling today, would the response be almost to look like you're not cut out for this? This might not be the profession for you. So you have to say, fine. You have to say, oh, busy, but getting on. You have to So move on to question number two. Question number two, how is the team doing? And this worked in two really powerful ways. This is collective leadership. And collective leadership is about the team. So the first thing this question does is, how is the team getting on? How is the team doing? 
How, how are people around you? It now starts to remind that individual that they're not alone. You're not in this on your own. There's a team here. Talk to me about it. Talk to me about what's going on for the team. It also is a technique to create psychological safety. We've talked lots about psychological safety in many of these forums, but we're still not quite sure how do we get it? We want it, but how do you get it? Well, this question gives you a little opportunity because the answer to how is the team doing is a third party answer. I'm fine, but the team are struggling. I'm fine, but the team are worried about PPE. I'm fine, but the team are overwhelmed. I'm fine, but the team are uh, concerned about the ongoing changes. What you might actually be saying is, I'm concerned about the ongoing changes. I'm concerned about PPE. But I didn't feel safe enough to tell you when you asked it from me, but I feel a little bit safer using a third-party language to say it at that moment. So this creates, you're not alone, you're in a team, and here's some psychological safety to tell me genuinely what's going on. I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz that's really clever because by asking about the team you are asking about them aren't you yeah because the team aren't going to be feeling something if you're not feeling it you know it you're you're part together and i I love that concept and, and there is still a stigma in saying I'm, I'm not fine and you know people feel it, it, it as much as we tell them it's okay to not be okay people feel it isn't okay to be not okay and so I love that, that that's very clever well done <laughs> it's a really um smart way of, of of getting people to admit how that how they really are without without threatening them like you said really great psychological safety there so question number three then moves us along a little bit. So question number three asks, how are your colleagues doing? So here there's something going back to our previous conversation about hierarchy. My team is my team. I might have some influence using my hierarchical position here, my reputation, my, my role within this team might be able to influence. But colleagues refers to the wider group. And again, picking up on some of the work from those papers that we referred to and our understanding about what drives human beings connected to a purpose. If we were were all connected to a purpose during those those dark days of coronavirus, and that purpose, I'm absolutely convinced, gave people energy. It gave people motivation and commitment. Why would you continue to get out of bed and face some of the things that people faced? It's because they had a compelling purpose, the care and support, the compassion to our community, the requirement to, to actually do the best you can in such circumstances. So connecting with colleagues now says, I'm connecting with colleagues, but for a higher purpose here. So this is about the nurses being interested in how the doctors are getting on. This is about ED being concerned that the one of the intake wards, one of the tape wards, it is doing fine. Because with our system, what we do, so I'm based in a hospital located around Stevenage. Nobody else is doing what we do. Nobody else is doing what we do. When I get out of bed in the morning and come into that hospital, I don't have a competing hospital across the road. Nobody else is going to be there. There's not another ED department for this community. There's not another uh, hospital for this community. 
this is this is us in a privileged position to re- to deliver high quality compassionate care and serve our community and by connecting people to colleagues the idea here is that we keep connecting to that higher purpose so how are we getting on in ward, ward uh, a how is ward b getting on how is the entire hospital getting on in serving our community just to keep actually there's bigger things going on here and again it's like connecting to you're not alone you're connected to a team team you're not alone you're connected to other teams and this network of teams this team of teams is called an organization and this organization is going to do something awesome and fantastic for the community we serve and it's that kind of inspiration and motivation at that particular point in the five questions you read the questions, you go, yeah, on the surface, they look really good questions. But actually, when, you, when you're now telling me what's behind each question, I think they're even better. I mean, they're fantastic. <laughs> so, 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 of course, in, in, in that how your colleagues doing question, question three, that, that's collaboration, isn't it? That, so that's collaborative uh, leadership. That's everything we know we are going to need in the future. Our ICSs are not going to work in any way, shape or form without partners, collaboration. How much am I prepared to, 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 to give into the system for the system to work? If I have to win at everything, then, then nothing's going to work. We've got to be able to share, understand, and actually offer for the bigger collaborative purpose. So how are your colleagues doing starts to connect to that? The next question is, how can you help them? So this is a question directed at empowerment, autonomy. And I know there's, there's problems with you. You can't really empower anybody else. That has to come from within. But this is about creating a climate and an opportunity. It's saying, do you have any control over the situation you find yourself in? Especially during coronavirus, so much control was taken away from us. We lost control of schools, lost control of our holidays, shopping, where we could go, how we could socialize. People had a lot of control. So the idea of question number four is not to take more control off people by saying, that sounds terrible, let me fix it for you. Let me rescue you. Not let me not let me fix all this for you and make it go away. Or to say something like, well, you know, you just have to step up and there's nothing to do. The question says, what could you think? What do you think you could do to help? So this is my colleagues are anxious about PPE. What do you think you could do to help? Oh, I saw a really good video uh, about PPE on the YouTube. I'll share that. Brilliant. Thank you very much. What do you think you could do? And the idea here is, is if question number one is compassionate leadership, question number two is collective leadership, question number three is collaborative leadership, the idea here in these first three is connect and listen. The idea of number four is what can you do to help them is coach. At this moment, you start to coach your people. You start to ask questions. What do you think you could do to help? You know, if you did something different, what would it be? What would be the one thing you could offer to your, to, from ED to Ward 4 that would help? What have you learned that if you shared it with your colleagues would help your colleagues? So now you're starting to coach people into so taking some actions, taking some ownership, giving some control back. Control is a really, really important element of our well-being. The more control we lose, the harder it is to maintain our well-being. And of course, there's something really interesting going on here, which is fundamental to all our dimensions of care. When we then say, what can you do to help them? When, when they go away to help, to do something, to take an action to help somebody else, a, anxiety is reduced because they're being helpful, they're doing something, they're busy and doing something, that reduces anxiety. But they're also doing a good thing, a helpful thing, a kind thing. And when we're kind to other people, we feel good about ourselves. 
So in this moment of offering some control back, we're also getting a sense of personal well-being, that, that really controversial idea that there's no such thing as a selfless act. Even when we give money to the, to the homeless guy, the homeless guy gets his cup of coffee, but boy, we feel warm inside. So with the question four, you're giving people opportunity to help each other, to feel good about that help. And again, that improves our well-being. Question number five is servant leadership. So servant leadership is, is about the idea of that's all well and good, but there might be one thing I can do to help. How do I serve you? It's understanding that if you're in a leadership position, even leadership as a colleague, not leadership as a hierarchical position, but with leadership comes this notion of service. How do I serve? How do I serve my colleagues, my team, the purpose? So the question here is, what can I do to help? What could we do to help? What one thing could I do that would make things better? So in those five questions, they can be done quite quickly. They could be, do they could be used as coaching questions for a longer conversation. But the idea here is passionate leadership, checking in, how are you doing? Collective leadership, tell me something about the team and how the team are getting on. Collaborative leadership, what, what do you know and what, what, what do you understand about what's going on in the bigger picture, the hospital, your colleagues in other professional groups? And then coaching, what do you think you could take ownership of? What do you think you could change? And then servant leadership, what one thing could I do to help you in this moment? And that's the rhythm. And it all stemmed from a cup of coffee, some permissions given from our senior leaders in the, in the hospital to experiment and play, a phone call and two very short papers. And from that, we just put in play the soft and fluffy that we'd cared about before coronavirus. And it now had to meet coronavirus head on. And so the five questions is soft and fluffy meeting coronavirus. And that is just totally brilliant. And I, I love those questions. I love the fact that number four comes before number five. They're, they're giving them an opportunity to come up with their, their answers, just to, mm. to stop the person asking them getting into that rescuer role and, and, and being a bit, bit heroic and stuff like that. But then you're also acknowledging that there is something that, that you can do. So really carefully constructed. And I think brilliant. What, what results did you get from this? from using this? So very, very quick, we started to, to put out little uh, credit card size, handy notes, started to put a few things on YouTube to try and get the news around the, the organization. And we got some t-shirts printed with the five questions on the back. So first of all, it was putting some message out there. And, and then I just used it uh, with people. I was on corridors, in units and wards, just being there with people and, and, and showing that that human connection was important. Then people would take it away. And, and before you know it, I, I was getting notes and emails saying, tried out the four questions, Steve. This this was results. We tried out the four question uh, the five questions. Uh, and this is where, where we got to. Try uh, tried the five questions, Steve, and didn't quite go to plan, but we had a great three minute conversation. And of course for me that meant it went exactly to plan. I, I was not expecting everybody to be uh, meticulously following all five, uh, connect. It gave people a confidence that actually, almost like a crutch, I've got these five questions as a crutch to help me connect with somebody. The five questions is taking me into this connection with another human being. I'm not lost and alone in that connection. And of course, the most important bit is the connection. Put the five questions down when the connection is strong and healthy, but it's that crutch to get in. Very quickly, because we're all social media aficionados these days, I put it out on some social media. It got picked up by a couple of hospitals around the UK. And then 
I was hearing things back from hospitals within our ICS. So with a few hospitals over at Harlow in Watford, and I was hearing the same kind of stories from them that we were getting. And so I shared five questions with them before, again, we had now all of a sudden we were doing train-to-trainer sessions to help people use it. It was becoming a part of our leadership, taught leadership programs. It was going into online uh, sessions. And I think the most important bit of the whole program was to reinforce those initial principles, connect with genuine concern, listen deeply, coach people to their potential, but be ready to serve others. And that's the bit that has made the shift. Uh, I kind of now with uh, the papers I put out and the presentations I do, I give lots of alternatives to some of the questions because I wouldn't like people to feel embarrassed that they're asking the same five questions too often. That connection, listening, coaching, and serving, it's the most powerful um, bit of our soft and fluffy leadership approach. I really love it. And I'm thinking it would work absolutely brilliantly in general practice as well. Have you, ha- have you heard of any GPs using it at all? I haven't. It's, it went out recently across all our ICS, which will have included all, all the CCGs and the practices uh, as well. I've not heard back of its deployment or use there, but I'll be, I'll be holding my breath and, and seeing how we get on. So I'm looking at this and, and I'm wondering if everybody felt comfortable using it or just the team leaders or was it, were there people that said, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm too junior, I can't ask that of people? Or, or did, you, did you get the message out that actually this is for anybody? So two things are around that, actually. Odd way, the talking about the five questions and not doing the five questions was equally as helpful with junior staff. So I did, I, it's, it's a bit like, you know, we're having a conversation about the five questions and both of us are feeling energised. Both of us are feeling, oh, this is good. This is so the effect of the five questions is is working on us without asking the five questions. And I noticed that really interesting. So I, I did a, a, a stint where I welcomed. I, I mean, there's two things I wanted to do. I wanted to welcome people into the hospital when they were coming on for shifts, and I wanted to say thank you to the night staff as they were they were leaving. So we did this for a, a little while, and I would stop people wherever I saw uh, that there was a little opportunity for a conversation. And with very junior staff, I would talk as we've just talked almost and explain what the five questions were. No pressure. No, you must now go out and do this. But almost in its color scheme, in its structure and in that conversation, it it, it was a badge, an emblem, a a visible moment that said there's something else going on here. You know, how are you doing is is really important. So much so that the, the, the group of us who met for that coffee and began talking about how our roles were going to change during coronavirus, we got known as the How Are You Doing team. So, when, so, so we had an email address to help contact the How Are You Doing team. And so it became, it became a movement rather than an implementation of a tool. The How Are You Doing team, when we were asked during the summer of last year to do a report on how things had gone in terms of psychological support for staff, that report was called the How Are You Doing report. Um, grateful that we've been shortlisted for some awards and things like that very nice but i think it's the fact that people could recognize it early in its simplicity not necessarily that i do it as a team leader but actually i can see the relevance of it for me and and what if you just ask them of yourself how am i doing 
what, what am I feeling about being a member of this team? What am I seeing in my colleagues which is inspiring me or concerning me? If I was to change something that I'm doing, what would I change? And what do I need to do to serve myself better, to take care of myself, self-care, well-being, etc.? And wherever we, we've kind of bumped into people to talk about the five questions, it, it's been the lines that the, the conversation has taken, which has been equally as valuable as the five questions themselves. Yeah. And I love the way that they combine all those different leadership principles from all those that they, you know, the, the new leadership styles that are so, so important and just makes them so accessible and and helpful. So, I mean, you said you were thinking about how you prevent PTSD rather than just sort of fixing it. Do you think it's made a difference? I'd love to have one of those wonderful numbers for you. But if I did or, or didn't have the wonderful number, some would or wouldn't uh, believe. I, I have a faith in things and my faith in this is, is quite strong. I have a, a record. I have a, a portfolio now of personal messages, gratitude, moments when, when people have just dropped me a note, just, just out of the blue to say, Steve, did the five questions today, just did this. Steve, thank you for the conversation you had in the corridor and five questions was the, the invitation to the conversation because then that's the conversation that was this. So has it made a difference? Absolutely. I've got the reams of emails and messages on my text messages and Twitter feeds, etc. The British, the Royal College of Psychiatrists picked it up and it's on their website now as part of best practice for coronavirus, which again, very grateful for that kind of support. But this has been by a movement and osmosis and by people finding value in. And if people then pick it up, if people download it, if people ask me for a copy, there's value in that. There's, there's a a reaching out, a connection, something they're asking themselves a question and they want to ask the teams that they care for a question. But I, I don't have one of those magic numbers. I have a faith that the work we did in the How Are You Doing team from five questions, just one of the interventions we had, uh, we did lots of one-to-one -one conversations. We ran some team debriefs. We made ourselves visible. A strong point in, in all the leadership pieces and even the conversation with the psychiatrist uh, psychologist from the British Army, be visible. And by visible, they weren't talking about the senior leader walking around going, you're wonderful, but visibility in terms of leadership of an action, a presence, a, a, a sense that, that, that something is happening because of you and because of your concern, your, your respect and your, your compassion for us. So visibility in, in action as well as the, a physical presence. And, and I think all that those combinations of work that we did, we did quite a lot of work. The five questions was often a really nice introductory piece to get us to a conversation about the huge well-being support that was on offer through the coronavirus, the downloading of apps like Headspace, the use of tech services like Shout, the access to helplines. So the five questions were often part of that wrapped up package. But it's the five questions which seems to have emerged as a standalone piece post-coronavirus. So, Steve, we're nearly out of time, and I think we could talk about this for another a few hours, I think. But if, if someone was thinking, actually, that would work really well in my practice or in my, my workplace, be it healthcare or not, what sort of three tips would you give people for starting to use this? Tip number one, uh, recognise that you've just, you've just asked yourself a really fundamental question. Uh, you've just said to yourself, I want to make an impact. I want to do something different. 
and actually wanting to do something different, you've identified a gap, a need, uh, something's going on. So tip number one, recognize what you've just done. You've just done, I've seen something, I've recognized the need. Tip, tip number, number two, do not set yourself up too, too, too big a, a task. Don't, don't say, I'm going to get the five questions and fundamentally uh, rock the foundations of your world. Say, I'm going to get this and I'm going to experiment. I, I think one of the big differences between management and leadership, leadership is an experiment. Every act of leadership is an experiment. You have no guarantee this is going to go well or not. So have a hypothesis and test that hypothesis. And five questions is your test for a hypothesis. And finally, uh, number three, give yourself time. Uh, I remember a couple of interventions I've tried in the past, and, and especially in sort of education, where all of a sudden you put something out there which you think is revolutionary, you think people will absolutely soak this in, and then all of a sudden nobody turns up or nobody's on the call, etc. When that happens, persevere. Just keep going. If you build it, they will come. And, and there's something about just them realizing, the team realizing, or the need realizing that you're not going away. Okay, so nobody turned up today. That's all that happened. It didn't mean your idea was wrong. It didn't mean that you're wrong. It didn't mean that everything you do is now a fit. It just meant today wasn't the day. Tomorrow might be the day that this moves ahead. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That is just really, really helpful. So if people then wanted to use these, how can they get hold of them? Are they copyright or is there a sort of an open resource that they can find them? So they're, they're absolutely welcome. Uh, it is an open process. I'm a, a jobbing NHS worker. I think I've sent you the, the three documents that are connected to this, an image, and I'm really happy for them to be shared. There is, there is, there's a couple of words which, which matter hugely to me in NHS. National and service stand out as being really important. I might work for a hospital in Stevenage, but I'm part of a national, a national commitment to improve the health of our community and service is as much to our patients and our families uh, and carers that we look after but service to my colleagues so people can have this it's 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 just if it's helpful it's yours wow steve if people want to get a hold of you personally or get um onto your amazing mailing list with a weekly sort of emails about leadership or follow you on twitter or linkedin how, how can they do that absolutely welcome anybody to join our network and our distribution if people want copies of the five questions or to get on the mailing list just email me at steve.andrews5 at nhs.net and if people want to pick up uh, my twitter feed it's at steveandrews3 and if you do contact me i'll do all i can to share and uh, spread the word. Great. And I do recommend your, your emails that come out each week. They're, they're fantastic. Thank you so much, Stephen. I, can I just say, I, I think that the, the trust in which you work is absolutely so fortunate to have somebody like you with the values and the enthusiasm and the commitment that you have to your staff working there. And I just, just think this has been such a brilliant initiative. So, so thank you on behalf of all those staff. Thank you, Rachel. And it's been a pleasure to chat this afternoon. Thank you very much indeed. Really great to chat and I'd love to have you back. So you have so much wisdom about leadership. So we'll get you back at some point to talk about or maybe find out how, how it's, I'm sure this is going to go, this is going to go national and, and be really interesting to, to see what happens with this. So thank you so much. And we'll speak again soon. 
Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.